Thank you. Hey, there's another way you can serve on Thanksgiving. Uh, We are going to have a Detroit Lions prayer support group. (laughs) I'm from Detroit. We watch them lose every year. And uh, we just need to weep with those who weep. So just feel free to minister in that direction. Well, we are down to my last three times with you as the interim teaching pastor. Thank you. There are two right here in the front. There are just two. Uh, we need to get you a microphone uh, to make it louder. Um, so I'm really thinking what uh, to do, and I do believe that in culture there are things that happen that God allows to happen that really give the church the opportunity to be the church. Uh, I think one of them was 9-11 for sure. I, I think another was uh, natural disasters like Hurricane Katrina. I think the uh, horrific mass shooting at the gay nightclub Pulse in uh, Florida, the worst mass shooting in the history of the United States, was another. And I think this election was another. Um, I don't know how you voted. Um, I don't know if you're elated this morning, if you're depressed or ambivalent. Uh, But we can all agree on one thing, Democrats, Republicans, Independents, that the country is deeply fractured today. Um, uh, President-elect Trump won the electoral vote, and Secretary Clinton won the popular vote. And if you've seen what's been happening in the streets of major cities, Los Angeles being one of them, we have a deeply fractured nation that needs desperately to talk about our differences, but we've lost the ability to do that in a productive, civil kind of way. This is the chance for the church to step up, for the church to show that we know how to have conversations in both truth and love. And that's what I would like to focus on. I'd like to focus on these next three weeks. How do we have difficult conversations with neighbors, friends, co-workers, not just about politics, but about everything. We're all called to be ambassadors. We're all called to be evangelists. So this morning, I want to tackle one aspect of it from the book of Ephesians. But let me start by making a point I made the very first time I preached as the interim teaching pastor. I think we've lost a sense of the sacred today. I think we're much poorer because we've lost that. But I have hope because every once in a while, uh, as collective citizens, we make our voices known that you've crossed the line, that there are things that are sacred today. Let me give you a few illustrations of that. First... Um, this is a student, this is a couple years ago, uh, she really got some negative backlash because she was in Auschwitz concentration camp, she took a selfie. Uh, now listen, I don't, I don't think she meant any ill by it, but a lot of people simply responded and said, there's certain things you don't do at concentration camps, and one of them is take a selfie like that. Uh, I don't know if you've ever been to a concentration camp, you need to go once in your lifetime. Uh, we went to Dachau, and, and we were with a bunch of college students, and they were laughing and talking. You make that turn, and you see those gates. No one had to say to people in the bus, uh, this is sacred territory, keep it quiet. And everybody was respectful. So I have hope that there are certain sacred areas. I, I think there are certain sacred artifacts. This is Kaylee Kuko, uh, one of the stars from the Big Bang Theory. She meant no ill will. But it was 4th of July, this past 4th of July, and she sent this out. Uh, It was her dogs with um, American flag collars, but they're sitting on the American flag, if you notice it. And and got quite a backlash. Now, to her credit, she immediately responded, I honestly didn't mean anything by that. I deeply respect the flag. I love 4th of July. And she immediately took it down. So nice to know that we can recognize the sacred every once in a while. Here's another. 
a high-end fashion store came out with this clothing line, and immediately uh, people complained. They said, what, do you not see it? Do you not see how that looks like a concentration camp garb with a Jewish star on it? Now, again, to their credit, they took it down. I'm sure somebody was fired. Uh, they took it down when they realized it. Let me show you one more. Remember I made a point last week? I think there was a grand total of three people who agreed with me. And the point was that holes in jeans, not intentionally, but unintentionally, might make a message that we are fashionizing poverty. Well, here is a high-end clothing store out of New York, a shoe store, that is selling these shoes for $540 that are duct-taped. The laces are being frayed. There's holes all throughout the uh, the shoe. And they label it homeless chic. Now, they've not been pulled yet, but just your reaction shows the poor are sacred. We don't make fun of the poor. We don't belittle the poor. We try to help them. So I want to retain the fact that I think language can be like this. I want to retain the fact that I think our words are also sacred. You don't get that message today. I think we use language so much today, we just forget about its importance. If Facebook were its own country, it'd be the third largest country in the world, only lagging behind India and China. So I I think we speak so much, we lose the sacredness of our words. But listen, I'm not the only one who wants to return sacredness to our communication. A lot of communication scholars, non-Christian and Christian alike, believe that we're at a tipping point today, and they want to reclaim a sense of the sacredness of our words. Listen to what one communication theorist says. To converse was to foster community to commune with, to dwell in a place with others. Conversation was understood to be a life-sustaining practice, a blessing, and a craft to be cultivated for the common good. Men and women, remember I said a couple weeks ago, your words, you're going to be held accountable for all your words by Jesus. Uh, Book of Proverbs says, life and death is in the power of the tongue. So as Americans, we need to talk about our differences. As Christians, we need to talk about our differences. Four out of five evangelicals voted for President-elect Trump. 80% of the evangelical community. Now, that is a reputation that we carry into culture, right? So among ourselves as evangelicals, we need to have conversations about why did you vote? How did you vote? What did your vote even mean uh, when you did that? But how do you have productive, hard conversations? That's what I want us to focus on. Now, fortunately, the Apostle Paul, he envisioned all of this. Uh, In speaking to the church at Ephesus, he gives them great advice that is just as timely for us today uh, in our present context. So stand with me to receive uh, the timeless word of God. If you can't stand, just assume a position of reception. This is what um, Paul says, starting in chapter 4, verse 1. As a prisoner for the Lord, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Jumping down to verse 29, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, 
with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as Christ in, uh, just in Christ God forgave you. You may be seated. <clears throat> Let's not be quick to speak, Paul is saying. Your words are, are um, either edifying or not. Langston Hughes uh, wrote this poem. Hold fast to dreams, for if dreams die, life is a broken-winged bird that cannot fly. Hold fast to dreams, for when dreams go, life is a barren field frozen with snow. Now, why in the world did you read that? I'm talking about wholesome communication. Langston Hughes, one of our finest American poets, wrote only one to two words a day. That's all he did. So he sat down and he said, I'm going to think of just one or two words. I'm not going to rush it. I think we need to reclaim that sense of the power of words. He knew his words had the power to transform a community or a nation. Our words have the power to give life or death. And we need to think... Um, long and hard about our word choices. Let's start with unwholesome speech. And Paul talks about it in a general sense, and then he gets very specific. Generally, he says, let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth. In the Greek, uh, unwholesome was a word that you would use to describe rotted meat or fruits that had gone bad. Paul is saying, just like you would never eat rotted food, I do not want that type of words to come out of your mouth. So, you know, imagine food that looks like this, and that is how God views your words when they're rotted. Uh, we need to get rid of it. This cannot be our language. Now, what specifically is he talking about? Oh, oh here's an illustration. I, I, I gave this funny assignment to my students. In addition to buying certain textbooks, they each had to buy a banana. Everybody had to buy one banana. And they were to watch the banana rot for an entire semester. You can imagine what that banana looked like after midterms, towards finals. It was triple bagged and students are wearing hazmat suits, you know. <clears throat> but they're having to journal about it continually, uh, going off of what Paul said of unwholesome words like rotting meat or fruit. Uh, one student said this. I thought this was very insightful. The student said, you look like Tim Yohoff. That's what the student said. No, can, I, can we go back to the banana real quick? Thank you. Sin is deceptively dangerous. If kept unchecked, sin is like a cancer because it slowly corrupts and only continues to grow and worsen beneath the surface. I can see the banana for what it is, rotted. I just need the discernment to see my sin, my communication, for what it is. Some of us are rotted as we talk about other people. And we have nothing positive to say about the other person. And we think negative thoughts. Uh, we only speak negative of one candidate. We can think of nothing positive to say. But we have a term for that. We call it uncognitively complex assessment, which means if you can't think of any positive thing about a person, then your perspective most likely is skewed. 
And that's where we've gotten today into the culture wars. There's nothing good to be said about her. There's nothing good to be said about him. And I I will confess to you, I, I am not a Secretary Clinton supporter, nor am I a supporter of President-elect Trump. Uh, and I've gotten into the place where I see nothing good about both of them. That, that's just my perspective. And I think recently the Holy Spirit have said, really? There's nothing good about the two. So I was encouraged. Um, after President-elect Trump pulled off the biggest upset in the history of modern politics, no one saw this coming. Uh, he could have, when he gave that acceptance speech, he could have stuck the dagger in Secretary Clinton's back and give it a delicious twist. And I was encouraged that he stood there and he said, you know what, we're indebted to Secretary Clinton. A lifetime of service. Uh, She's a hard fighter and she fought hard and her fighting for children will be the hallmark and we 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 owe a great of datitude. I was so encouraged. The next day, uh, when he went to the White House with President Obama, you know how hard President Obama fought against him. And the things they said about each other. And then they were were right there, sitting next to each other. And I was so encouraged that um, President-elect Trump said, it is an honor to meet you. It is an honor to be in the White House. Then remember when they were taking photographs, you could barely hear him say on camera, a very good man. This is a very good man. And there's President Obama who said, you know what? He's going to be my president. And when Hillary Clinton gave that acceptance speech, you know, she couldn't address the nation that night. They say she was emotionally raw. This is twice she's lost her dream. And uh, she stood up and said, he's my president. And uh, we need to embrace him. We need to give him a chance. Man, I don't know if I could have done that. So just for a second, there was a spark of seeing something in these two individuals to be tender-hearted towards them. And Paul's going to have much to say about tender-heartedness. So reflect just for a second. Is there somebody that you just have rotted communication towards? You have continually negative thoughts. There's not one positive thing you can think of when you think of this particular person. Take a second and ask the Holy Spirit to surface uh, that individual and what you might need to do about that. So take a second. As an aside, <clears throat> the fun thing about doing this podcast, it's sponsored by Biola's Center for Marriage and Relationships. I do it with Dr. Chris Grace, who's a psychologist. He's the director of the center. He said to me, Tim, if you have continually negative thoughts towards a person, that person knows. Even if you've never said a word, that person knows. It's called emotional contagion. It means that people pick up on these negative vibes that you give them. Malcolm Gladwell wrote a whole book called Blink about this. We immediately pick up on positive vibes and negative vibes. So if you have these continually negative thoughts towards a person, but you're okay, you think, because I'm not said anything, just know that person's picking up on all of that negativity. 
Now, unwholesome speech, Paul gets very specific. This is what he says. Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away. What does he mean by this? Bitterness. Bitterness is anger that has been allowed to cement. Um, You now have these thoughts about this person and you're almost consumed by these thoughts. You could think that you're fine and that person walks in the room and man, you feel frosty in a heartbeat, right? I see dead people, right? Kind of... Thank you. Second service, no laughs whatsoever. Awesome that you guys are watching Netflix. Um, so, you, so bitterness, it's consuming you. Uh, one psychologist said bitterness is like you taking the poison and hoping the other person dies. That's bitterness. By the way, my current project today, I'm working on a book comparing spiritual battle to marriage. I've been reading books by Clint Arnold, one of our top theologians at Biola who writes on this. And he said, anger, bitterness, is one of the ways that you're giving Satan access to your life. That he dwells in your bitter bitterness. Remember when Paul says an interesting thing? Do not let the sun go down on your anger as not to give the devil a foothold. Some of us are giving the devil a foothold because of our hatred towards certain politicians or hatred towards family members or, or, or this bitterness towards church people. And Satan is getting access. Uh, he also says wrath and anger. There's a slight difference in the Greek. Mostly that wrath is this outburst. And we all know what that's like. You think you're fine until you're talking to this person and they say one little thing or have a tone of voice in your direction and you go to DEFCON 2 in a heartbeat. Right? With that, We've all been there. Clamor and slander. What's the difference? If I'm just talking to you, it's slander if I'm talking about another person. Right? I'm doing rotted language towards another person, but it's just me and you. That's slander. If I convince enough people... Uh, to have ill feelings towards a person, that now becomes clamor. Clamor is when a group starts to have negative attitudes towards a person. So we have to be careful how much we influence, uh, how much we talk about people in our families. It's interesting, right? Not only small kids, but teenagers. How do we talk respectfully about other people, even people we bitterly disagree with? Do we give them the respect that their office deserves, that a lifetime of service deserves, even as I disagree with this individual? Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, Paul says. Do you know you can grieve the Holy Spirit? You can bring joy to the Holy Spirit? You can grieve the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit who loves you, right? God loves you unconditionally, but you can grieve the Holy Spirit. As the Spirit listens to your language, the Spirit can be grieved. Um, that's why Jesus said, I'm going to hold you accountable for every word that you, you utter. Because it shows me your heart. Do you know Roman philosophers had a saying. And the saying was, as the speech, so the life. I think that's interesting. You can tell much about a person's life by their language. Now listen, if it does not motivate you that you grieve the Holy Spirit. If that just doesn't bother you, then you have stripped the New Testament of all of its motivation. Sometimes we do things just because Jesus asked us to do it. And if the thought that grieving the Holy Spirit isn't a deterrent in your life, then you have stripped the New Testament of its power. And I would want to know, why do you not care about the Holy Spirit, uh, the ability to grieve or give pleasure to the Holy Spirit? Now, let's talk about wholesome speech. 
Paul says this, but only such a word that is good for edification according to the need of the moment so that it will give grace to those who hear. First, edification, what is it? Edification is me speaking the truth with this idea that it's going to benefit you, that it will help mature you. It could be a really hard truth, but my goal is that it will actually help you. Uh, it'll help you see things in a different way. It'll help you think biblically. But my intention is for good, not for ill. That's what we call edification. That is good for the moment, the need of the moment. That's going to be uh, what my second sermon is about next week. Boy, when to say something is incredibly important in calm theory in the book of Proverbs. book of Proverbs says a word spoken in the right circumstance is compared to fine jewelry. And uh, boy, that word is incredibly important to know the right timing of the word. We'll talk more about that later. That gives grace to those who hear. If you were to ask me, what is the number one descriptor of communication in the New Testament? I would say the word gentleness. Remember what Paul says in Galatians 6.1. Even if a person is caught in a trespass, So they're wrong, no doubt. But you who are spiritual, Paul says, I want you to restore that person with a spirit of gentleness. Peter says, be ready to give a defense for your faith, but do it with all gentleness. Gentleness, I think, is one of the hallmarks of Christian communicators. Are we gentle, gracious people? How do we give grace to others? I love this verse. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ has also forgiven you. The only way you give grace is if you've received it. And sometimes I'm fearful that we just have a cognitive understanding of grace. We just have an intellectual understanding of grace. That's why Paul prays in the beginning of Ephesians. He says this, I pray the eyes of your heart would be enlightened. Heart in Hebrew is all of you. So my wife and I went skydiving on our honeymoon. I've told you that before. We spent all day studying it. We did drills. We watched videos. We read about it. We could have walked out of there and said, I intellectually know about skydiving. Right? But man, when you get in that airplane and you jump out and the plane is gone. And you're like, wow. That's skydiving. Intellectual understanding or experiencing it. I don't know how many of you watch Parks and Recreation, but there's a really interesting scene where um, they're having a cook-off of hamburgers. You have one character who's played by by Rob Lowe, who eats really healthy, and he's making veggie burgers. You get Ron, who hates anything vegetable and just loves meat. So they both make their burgers. Uh, Rob Lowe's character makes this unbelievable veggie burger and puts on, uh, you know, a relish and puts on um, the special kind of mustard and then he gives it to him. And all the judges, oh, that's, oh, yeah, that's good. All Ron does is take a piece of hamburger, flop it on, turn it over, stick it on a, a bun. Here, take it. And they go, okay. Oh, oh. Right? Jonathan Edwards said this. I don't want to talk about the love of God. I want you to taste the love of God. And some of us need to taste the love of God. To taste it. To feel it. To be emotionally moved by it. A couple of years ago, I spoke with a woman. Uh, she's pretty well known. but I want to, uh, she, she told this story publicly, but I want to make sure I, I actually have the right name attached to this. So I won't mention her name. She was uh, married before she became a Christian and verbally abused her husband. 
uh, destroyed his self-image to the point that he eventually committed suicide. She believes that she's the direct cause of her husband taking his life. Now she's become a Christian. I'm speaking at a conference with her. And, she st- and this is now years ago. This is like 25 years ago. And she still can't talk about it without getting choked up. That one, I was responsible for the death of my ex-husband. And two, I've been forgiven. And just how, how it just overwhelmed her. And I don't know if we've ever been overwhelmed with our salvation. I mean, have you ever been moved to tears about the thought that you're forgiven? Past, present, future. Do you know St. Francis of Assisi could not eat in a room with a crucifix? He would lose his appetite just seeing the cross, knowing what happened to his Savior on that cross. Me, my goodness. After, after a Sunday like this, I could go eat in a crucifix-shaped restaurant. You know what I mean? <laughs> so sometimes, sometimes I just wonder, why aren't... And I think it's personality type a little bit. I think we have to account for that. But I do want to embrace my salvation on a way that it fundamentally changes me. We can talk all day long about what hamburger tastes like. But you taste it, it forever changes you. So what he's saying, Paul is saying is, I want you to drink deeply what happened at Calvary. Just as God has forgiven you, I want you to forgive other people. So my wife and I spoke at the Oklahoma City Family Life Marriage Conference. Uh, When the Oklahoma City bomb went off, it actually went off at the... uh, hotel we were at it actually went off 10 miles away from the hotel when it went off and the manager thought it went off right in their hotel he said it was unbelievable the shock waves what happened at the oklahoma city bombing can you imagine 9-11 so the first man the literally the first responder to be there was a deputy sheriff and he walked right into the nursery you can imagine he said it, it was the most horrifying thing he's ever seen in his life The only way to deal with the images was to drink and to sleep with anything that moved, uh, even though he was married and had kids. He was a self-professed believer. She was not. And and he was devastated by Oklahoma City. Well, now she's moved out, taken the kids, uh, and in a drunken stupor, he actually turns on the TV and hears a family life marriage conference advertisement. So he picks up the phone calls his wife and says, will you please go with me to a family life marriage conference? She says, no, I'm divorcing you. No. He just won't let it go. He keeps begging her. She finally says, if I go, will you never contact me again? He said, done. So she actually would later say, I actually thought to myself, well, I'm divorcing him, but I would like to get remarried. Maybe what what I learned there will help me in my second marriage. That's what she actually said. (laughs) They go... I, I, the gospel is presented every conference. I just happen to be giving the gospel of that conference. Uh, she listens to it and realizes, I'm not a Christian. Meets with Noreen. She came from an Irish background. Noreen comes from an Irish Catholic background. Noreen leads her to faith right in the lobby of that hotel. So now she's still with... Her husband hasn't changed, by the way. He's still drinking like crazy, and, and right? So they go home, um, separate houses... And he sits with her in the living room and he says this to her. Will you forgive me? I want to work on our marriage. And she said, have you told me everything? And he says, what I can remember, I've told you. And it devastated her. And she ran to the bathroom, was in the fetal position weeping. 
She'd only been a Christian for 24 hours. And she said, Tim, God spoke to me. And I don't mean a still silent voice. I heard the voice of God. And the voice of God said to me, do you believe I've forgiven you of all your sins? Do you believe that's true? And she was like, yes. Then take that forgiveness and give it to your husband right now. And she said, I opened that door, walked, sat next to him and said, have you told me everything? And he said, what I can remember, she goes, okay, I forgive you in the name of Jesus. Now they're on staff with Family Life Marriage Ministries. Right? So once you taste it, it's radical. I think that's why Paul was so effective. He knew what it was like to be a persecutor of the church. C.S. Lewis never forgot. Lewis was asked one time, why are you so good with non-Christians? Lewis responded, used to be one. Right? (laughs) Love that. So just as Christ has forgiven you, you forgive others. So you know what I have felt convicted about? I, I have followed this political season because it's my job. I teach communication. I teach rhetoric. And I feel like the Holy Spirit said to me, okay, Tim, have you always been truthful? Have you? The answer is no. Okay. Have you ever said things that were hateful? Yeah. I said, okay. So have these two candidates. Is there no compassion for them whatsoever? And I've been wrestling with that. All right, edification. So you're going to talk to a person. You're actually going to do it. Just don't rush into it. It could be the worst thing you ever did. Communication is a double-edged sword. It can help or it can hurt. So here's a checklist to see if you're ready to have this conversation. Next week, we're going to do a checklist to see if the other person is ready. Right now, you're focusing on yourself. Number one, have I prayed about what I'm going to say? Pray about it. Why? I don't need to pray about it. I'm in the right. I'm in the right. No, have you sat down with the Holy Spirit and said, really, should I do this? And boy, that's interesting. Uh, The Holy Spirit. Uh, I I spoke at a family life marriage conference. We do a sexual intimacy talk. And in it, I talk about pornography. Um, My dad was addicted to pornography to the day he died. So I I have a lot of passion about having barriers with uh, pornography and all that kind of stuff. Well, a woman misinterpreted what I said somehow, and, and sent a letter to the head of the speaker team of Family Life asking that I be dismissed, that I was somehow endorsing pornography. And I, I, I said to the head of the team, Bob, Bob, can I have that letter? Can you send that to me? He sent it to me. I'd like to reply. So I, I, get, this, I get this email. I sit down. I'm like, okay, first off, I'm going to hit send. And the Holy Spirit's like, whoa! Are we going to talk about this? And I'm like, no. No. And the Holy Spirit said, we need to talk about this. Number two, what's your motivation for doing this? My motivation for sending that note to that woman was not to edify. It was to strike back. I felt like she had impugned my character. I thought she was calling my character into question. And I was ready to go. This was not for her. This was for me. And I was in attack mode. I was on the debate team in college. And I was in debate mode. And I'm saying, listen, this is ridiculous. And how dare you? 
And the Holy Spirit is like, where's the love? Right? She's a Christian. She's at the conference. Where's the love towards her? And I was like, oh. Sometimes the Holy Spirit, right? Aren't you like, seriously, there's nothing else to be doing right now. Like, how's the second coming coming? You know what I mean? It's like... What is the best way to speak the truth to this particular person? What's the best way? Now, that's what tomorrow, uh, next week is going to be about. So we'll move on. How to do it. Check the, circum- uh, check the circumstances, timing, setting, and other pressures. So, here's, so I'll give you a humorous illustration. I'll give you a serious one. Humorous. When's the best time to talk to Tim Yohoff? It is not when I'm going to bed nor before dinner. You do not want to talk to Tim Yohoff before dinner. Talk to me after dinner. My wife knows after 26 years of marriage, after dinner, with that cup of coffee, you can say anything. I can have that cup of coffee, my wife can say, oh, by the way, half the house burned down. I'm like, it happens. You know? So seriously, I, I, I'm ready to go with this response. I'm ready to go. And the Holy Spirit said to me, you didn't even read the entire email. And I was like, you know what? I didn't. I didn't. Get down to the bottom of the email. During that conference, the first night, Friday night, her husband confessed to looking at pornography and had been doing it for years. And she was devastated. She said, I waited 10 years to go to a marriage conference with my husband. And the first night, he tells me he's been looking at pornography. And I just feel like trash. And for the first time, I thought that was her lens for listening to my talk. That was a hurt woman who had been hurt by her husband listening to my talk. And no wonder she heard it through that lens. And for the first time, I had just a little bit of compassion. Right? And then I sent the letter. No, I'm kidding. I didn't. I didn't. I did not. I did not. Send the letter. Never got approval from the Holy Spirit to send the letter. Uh, I think it's important to say, Holy Spirit, should I do this? And by the way, we're not called to tolerate our enemies. We're called to love our enemies. Uh, We're not called to tolerate Secretary Clinton. We're called to love her. We're not called to tolerate the president-elect. We're called to love him. And part of love means protest. And part of love means we make our concerns known. We call you on the carpet. We protest governments and authorities. If that were not the case, women would still have not have the right to vote. And the civil rights movement never would have happened. Right? So, but we do it in love. We do it for the concern of a president, the concern of a nation, the concern of people on the opposite side of a political aisle. And am I willing... Oh, this is the worst one. Am I willing to receive the truth myself? So here's what the Holy... I can't believe I'm so honest with you guys. Is it because I'm interim? (laughs) Interim teaching pastor. Um, So here's what the Holy Spirit said to me about that note to me. Wow, are you beyond uh, being rebuked? 
Now, now granted, this one is, uh, this one is uh, I'll give you a pass on this one. I do believe she misinterpreted what I said. But can you be confronted by a person and would you receive it? Wow, that's, that was an interesting moment to think about that. Okay, we end with this. Uh, Paul says to Colossians, uh, church in Colossae, therefore as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Men and women will never be gentle speakers if we don't embrace gentleness. We'll never be compassionate speakers unless we deeply drank of the well of compassion. So uh, at Biola, you actually can sign up as faculty to get a spiritual advisor. And so I did. I, I signed up. His name was Larry. And I said to Larry, so we meet. And he said, what do you want to talk about? I said, sometimes I feel like God's love is a topic I study, uh, like an academic subject. I, I want to experience it at the heart level. And I don't know what to do. I kind of feel like I'm stuck. I've been a Christian since 13. I, I don't know what to do to make it more personal. He goes, okay, I got something for you to do. It's kind of quirky. Uh, but people have found it to be very effective. Here's what I want you to do. Uh, when you get up in the morning, next morning, I want you to take a blanket. I want you to wrap the blanket around you. Even put it over your head. Wrap yourself. And I want you to imagine that's God's love. You are now enveloped by his love. And I want you to think about the ramifications of that. All your sins are forgiven, past, present, future. God's not angry at you. You're like a son to him. And just sit there. I got to tell you, the first morning was bizarre. I I felt like an extra from Star Wars. You know what I mean? I'm like, (laughs) Obi-Wan. If somebody would have come downstairs, I would have whipped that thing off. But I got to tell you, a, a transition happened on day five. Something happened where I just sat there thinking, I don't need to perform for God. I I remember all the things I've done in my life that I wish I'd never had done or thought or said. Things I've said like an idiot. Things I said in all of my academic hubris. Convictions I had when I was young that I didn't know what the heck I was talking about. And yet he's forgiven me for all of those. And sitting there morning after morning after morning, enveloped in God's love. Now Paul is saying, take that and give it to other people. Give them compassion. Give them grace. As you speak the truth, do it in love. So men and women, stand with me. Father, this morning we pray for... Secretary Clinton. Uh, Father, she's heartbroken. To see her dreams dashed twice. To be on the wrong side of one of the biggest upsets in American politics. Father, we do thank you for her years of service. We do thank you that she twice put herself through this. There may be disagreements, but we do pray this day you would comfort her. She has a Methodist background. I pray that that would come to the foreground. I pray that you would surround her with people who would comfort her and speak spiritual truth. Father, we pray for President-elect Trump. Um, I'm sure he feels overwhelmed. Thank you for the olive branch he offered to Secretary Clinton the olive branch he offered to President Obama. 
Father, I pray as he sees these protests that it would develop humility an embracing of the fact that his words have deep, deep impact. Father, I pray that you'd surround him with advisors, with people who would speak the truth spiritually, who would love him, but at the same time would edify and convict and confront. And I pray that he'd be receptive to that. Give him wisdom. I pray that he would seek your wisdom. But Father, you have said, pray for your authorities, and we do. At the same time, we are ready to protest. We are ready to voice our opinions. But let us do it with charity, and let us do it with love. Father, we are a fractured nation. And I pray the church would rise to the top to exhibit gracious, gentle communication as we represent your kingdom. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.